everyone, Phoebe here. This episode is a bonus episode in which I chatted to the wonderful SDLP youth, East Derry. While it's only a snippet, we cover the male gaze, menstruation, consent and sex education in general. Hope you enjoy. Welcome everybody who has come out tonight. I understand it's a Thursday night and people are tired. So thank you everybody for coming to the third part of the workshops I had workshops I had organised. Tonight's one we're joined with Phoebe on from um, Sex Education Reform NI, and very very exciting. Very very excited to have this discussion, and I'm really really looking forward to it. So just quick introductions. Um, I'm Molly, I'm the chairperson of the East Derry branch and I'm she, her and Phoebe, over to you if you want to do the intro. I'm Phoebe, um, I am the founder of the Facebook page Sex Education Reform NI um, and I, my pronouns are she, her. Um, so yes, just a few housekeeping rules here kind of. Um, everybody whilst the discussion's going on if we could keep ourselves muted just to stop any disturbance in the background and any questions raise your hand or message them in um as i said i'm on my tablet so i can only see four people at once so if we do open questions and i'm not acknowledging you please message it's just i can't see you it's nothing personal um and just kind of a trigger warning here folks um some of the subjects that we're discussing could potentially dip into uncomfortable matters and so if you feel this is something we're discussing that could be upsetting to you take a moment step away there's no pressure to stay here this is a very open discussion and the goal is for it to be a safe space as well to have these discussions so if you need to message me or if you just need to step out that's okay come back when you feel ready um and that's really it um i'm so excited to be having this discussion and as i said i've been kind of building up for this one for some time now um phoebe if you have anything you want to quickly say or jump in on before we start you're more than welcome not at all um this is just this topic is just something that over lockdown the start of this year I was sort of sort of getting angry about in that I don't think Northern Ireland does enough for young people when it comes to sex education from my own experiences from my friends experiences so I'm in no way an expert I'm just someone that loves to chat about this so I'm really excited to to get chatting about all these different all the different issues that are affected by you know the lack of sex education we have mm-hmm. oh no completely um that's another thing none of us are experts and some people can say they are but I don't think you ever truly are because there's always so much to learn and it's always changing so as I said this is just an open discussion looking at these ideas breaking it down and really just looking at what we can do and what can be done as well um so first sort of question I thought would be really interesting to start off with is the male gaze 
which is something that has a strong clutch on a lot of platforms from education to porn to film and do you briefly want to explain what the male gaze is and what its impact is in our society today especially with young men and how they perceive and romanticize a lot of stuff that doesn't need to be romanticized Mm -hmm. yeah so the male gaze is it's technically I'm pretty sure like a research sort of um theory but it's be, what it is at the end of the day basically is the objectification of women um I know that I first heard about it in kind of the film context when I was studying moving image art at school we did Hitchcock's Vertigo and there's like a, a scene where the camera sort of lingers on Kim Novak you know the stunning I think her name's Madeline the lead but absolutely stunning lady physically very very attractive um and I guess that's the point it lingers on her we are actually looking at this woman from a male's gaze, a literal male's gaze. Um, but what that sort of translates to, it's whenever, you know, in in real life, it's whenever women are treated as just that, just something pretty mm-hmm. to look at, um, you know, objects of this sort of, you know, specifically heterosexual male desire. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we are not real human beings. It's just, we're just people to look at, um, things to look at. Um, and that's obviously problematic when it comes to attitudes towards women, um, attitudes towards women in a, in a sexual nature or not. You know, I think it's really worth remembering the lack of female focus. Um, it's so androcentric, the stuff that we are taught, you know, a man does this to a woman. Um, and we need to remember that women aren't just objects. They're not just there for a male to gaze at. Um, they're there to enjoy and to take part of um, to take part of in sex as an act. Um, but also apart from sex, they're there to be respected as a human being. If if they don't enjoy sex, you don't have to make everything physical. Um, a person a, a person's worth is not, you know. or is not assigned to them by how they look or or how they present themselves Mm -hmm. um but yeah the male gaze then can be very problematic when it comes to other issues that stem from misogyny from power imbalances and like you had chatted about maybe romanticization of things that shouldn't be romanticized um like the idea of rape culture is kind of perpetuated by women being seen as nothing more than objects um I think I was having a think about you know, as you were talking um, in film and things and a film we all know and many of us love, Grease. Um, me and Molly were actually in a production of Grease together, <laughs> uh, but we'll not chat about that. That was too long ago. Um, yeah. <laughs> the so- In the song, one of the lines is, did she put up a fight? And it seems so harmless and it seems so kind of, oh, that was just of its time. But in a way that sort of still lingers and it's still an idea today that a woman doesn't have a say, that a woman doesn't have a say and can't make her own choices. So the idea of kind of romanticization of pain, and I'm not talking about anything people are into like BDSM or things like that. That's an entirely different thing. Mm-hmm. But the idea, especially in porn, in, in unethical porn, you know, sources like, like Pornhub as the massive example, anyone can upload anything at any time. And obviously that can be so distressing. It can be non-consensual. It can be, you know, you present it in a way that's just 
very traumatic and very damaging but especially when that substitutes sex education i think even mm. ethical porn porn that's made by consenting adults porn that's available that maybe people pay for um you know porn that's not really cross any lines and things like that that's still a terrible way to learn about sex because at the end of the day porn is entertainment it's not real life i mean we all know we all know that that's not the way it should be at the same time either um so when it comes to unethical porn sites that's very very awful and i want to kind of touch as well on kind of lgbtqia plus representation there too because you've got women especially in porn are treated from the male gaze and to be fair if it's entertainment and that's what's going on in film it's going to follow that trend but it's when that translates into real life whenever say a straight man sees a lesbian couple and they're kissing and he says that's so hot no you've got to just let that that cup they're more than just lesbians do you know what I mean like a lot mm -hmm. of people it's it's like a male fantasy and it's like no that's how that's how people are existing um and it's just back to that idea of male gaze where women are treated as nothing more than something to give men pleasure and to give men sort of something to ogle at um so yeah that's my big long convoluted answer to what is the male gaze <laughs> no it's it's a great answer because something I've kind of seen a lot of at the minute is a lot more coming to light for sex workers rights and what that is exactly and I know that a lot of people don't view them workers to have rights and don't address the trauma that they experience from specifically male groups who just see them as objects and don't take into consideration that they are a human being and what is done to them can have lasting effects and so you know it's very much an issue and it is as well as you said people just kind of being like oh men will be men boys will oh. be boys and that sort of concept when that's excusing a behavior that doesn't deserve to be excused um it's allowing these habits to continue to grow and to continue to put women in a position that's harmful physically and mentally and I can only imagine the trauma that some people can experience from having lack of rights and lack of protection and as you said there about lesbian couples as well something I've noticed is the continual sexualization of the LGBT plus community and how if you bring it up the first thing a person will discuss is the sex life of them and 100%. you're like there's more to it yeah, people are so, just like how do they have sex you know oh, it is it, it's crazy because it's none of anyone's business <laughs> and yeah. people, I think a lot of especially straight people kind of feel entitled to that um I'm I'm a straight woman myself I'm I'm an ally a self-professed ally um, and a shameless little plug here on um, sex education reform ni on our facebook page we post like podcasts every couple of months and our second episode featured um a good friend 
my co-host Anita, a good friend of hers uh, called Ewan, and he is um, training to be a doctor, but he, he's a gay man and he finds, we chatted about, you know, inappropriate discussions in the workplace. Ewan chatted about how people who he, he's never met, strangers, that what some of the first things he'll say or that they'll ask him about is his sex life uh, or his boyfriend. And gay men often are very hypersexualized in a way that's like that's all they think about their their sex demons just their their deviance because mm. they're gay and that does link in as well to sort of you know christian teaching that i mean i came from you know that i was brought up with that so many people were brought up with here in northern ireland and yeah i mean it all comes back to this 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 the root of this problem being that rse you know relationship and sex education is not objective because there's often a sort of a slant to it that their ethos that their religious ethos has to has to follow and i think it's so awful because we could be doing so much for young people mm -hmm. to educate them on different sexual identities for their own good but also to respect others and i just think it's it's crazy that the the queer community is just not understood Mm -hmm. and it, it no people don't want to understand it either you know stereotypes 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 of course stereotypes is a huge one the first workshop that I had organized with was with Ren from the Rainbow Project and we Love, what a great charity great charity and you know it really it just you have that there's this concept somewhere decided some time ago that the LGBT plus community um once you define yourself as one thing you can't change and Ren said this really brilliant brilliant quote in which sexuality and gender are like clothes and you just have to keep trying them on until you find the right pair the right yeah. shirt and the right trousers the right blazer and when our education system fails us in giving us the freedom to explore these things, the consequences that come from that further down the line are horrendous. And it's seen constantly the diaspora of, I did an essay on it in university, where people who are queer or LGBT plus or trans and non-binary gender fluid they just leave because what is there here and I had seen an exhibition done by the Dublin Immigrant Museum I think and they discussed how a lot and a lot a lot of gay men left Ireland and I asked innocently do they ever come back and the answers stood with me. The guy said, yeah, they came back when they were diagnosed with AIDS and essentially came back here to die. And, you know, there's so many parts of that to unpack that we can't unpack tonight. But it's harrowing because where was our education system? Where was the safe sex? Where was the freedom for them to be themselves here? where they could have stayed at home and had a support and had a community and instead feel the need to have to migrate to America, you know? 
Yeah, but sad. it's very yeah. But will we move on to the second question? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So I think my second question for you was a really relevant one at the t- today about menstrual hygiene and how it's non-existent and there's such a lack of awareness in periods and period health and period poverty more importantly and how there's just nothing there to help young women I heard on Jeremy Vine the other day where they were discussing the coil treatment being put in and how like women were coming together and saying this happened to me as well and there was something about that that was rather emotional because it as someone who's had it like you're like oh my god I'm not alone but there is still very much that isolation so menstrual hygiene is there anything you feel that really really needs to be done and really needs to be changed about it yeah um periods menstruation needs to be chatted about in classrooms from from the school decides from whenever the school decides that you know a group of peers or a group of a, a classroom is old enough to learn about puberty it needs to be integrated it needs to be completely covered i went to a school where the boys and the girls were separated um, when it came to periods and uh, anything like wet dreams for guys that creates such a gap between you know groups of young people because we don't know what's being whispered about in that room they don't know what's being whispered and that can really stick with people so I know people who were a crazy age when they learned what a period was from a family member and that is just crazy to me everyone needs to be present in the discussion about periods and discuss the discussion about menstruation because not only will that benefit young men you know in making them understand you know how how what what people who menstruate go through but it will also change the lives of you know it could change the life of a transgender child it could change the life of someone who menstruates but doesn't present as female these are things that need to be taught um that it's not it's not just women who menstruate you know and Mm -hmm. support needs to be put in place as well um for young people because it can be an absolutely scary panic inducing thing you know when when does your start oh i haven't had mine yet blah 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 and when you're when you're a preteen like that's that sort of stuff is the most important thing in the world and mm-hmm. just it, it just needs to be talked about because it's not it's it's sort of seen it is seen as this embarrassing thing when in reality it just happens I'm gonna plug my first book um that I absolutely loved I, I think it was the third book I finished this year it's called periods Ooh. gone public um by Ooh. taking a stand against or not against for <laughs> taking a stand for menstrual equity um and it's by Jennifer Weiss Wolf and um, she's fantastic um she talks about period poverty about how periods are managed all over the world India has a fantastic um 
reputation a fantastic output of periods you know and a lot of them which absolutely inspired me was were set up by men by men who have seen their daughters who have seen their wives go through too much hardship they've just decided Hmm. right I'm going to pay my female workers brilliantly I'm going to provide for women in India and that it melted my heart it was so so Mm -hmm. nice to see gives you that little bit of hope but she chats about she chats about um, menstrual health how it affects education crazy amount of young women people who menstruate miss so much school because well either because of pains either because of embarrassment because of just not having resources maybe you cannot afford to protect yourself for the day and I mean there's a whole other topic we can go into which is like how schools and institutions should have free period products on hand but that's a completely different thing um which she also covers in this book so I'll type it in the chat at some stage towards the end if anyone's interested I feel like everyone man woman you know non-binary any sort of way you identify it's a fantastic read so highly recommend (laughs) we do love a book we do love a good book read um but yeah definitely um there's just such uh it kind of leads us nicely into the next question but I had written which is it's great can you tell I did drama (laughs) (laughs) um it leads us nicely into the next question which is you know a lot of schools because of how they deal with menstruate I can't pronounce it periods and how they deal with that in such a kind of off-putting way you very much become ashamed of your periods very quickly and you very much become ashamed of having to ask for a pad or a tampon or having to ask for stuff and I can remember going to like the school office and asking for it and they're like we don't have any and I was like the most mortifying thing in the world yeah yeah and I was like what am I meant to do then and as well as that coming back to the male gaze in comedy shows there's always the gag about people being on their periods and making it a joke instead of making it a serious discussion and there's it is no laughing matter and it is no light topic to just be laughed at and be like you're just hormonal because you're on your period isn't that what's wrong and that's condescending as well like don't tell me I'm hormonal because I'm on my period it's not and when you know whenever it's the butt of a joke in a comedy or a sketch show or a, a sitcom it's always women who are being poked at you know the fun being poked at and um it's just it's not it's not original it's like you're just making fun of this woman for existing if it was a character flaw you were you were kind of poking fun at instead of just something she cannot control do you know what I mean it's just it's a cheap well I hope none of us are watching sitcoms like that anyway (laughs) (laughs) hopefully not um but yeah it leads us nicely into the next question which is you know shame is very much just kind of in a sense 
beaten into us from a young age about our periods. Um, so what sort of advice or thoughts do you have on making people feel less ashamed of what is essentially a basic human function? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there needs to be oh, such a, a gradual shift in the way we view periods. Um, you know, they actually are gross, fair enough. You know, I feel like anything coming out of your body in that quantity and in that manner, it's not going to be pleasant. But Mm -hmm. it needs to be understood that it's a natural thing that happens. It happens so much of the world's population. You know, we have to end this stigma where it's like, oh, my time of the month. Even all of the names that are given in that in the periods gone public, the book. Each chapter, she's named like a different kind of euphemism, um, mm-hmm. it's like riding the red red wave. Um, you know, I got, I got. Um, obviously, I horse ride a lot, and yeah. somebody once turned around to me and was like, "Well, you're riding the cotton pony now, aren't you?" And I was like, "What?" The what? And they're like, <laughs> "Aren't you?" And I was like, "No, don't but do also, that." Why are you talking to me about this as well? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so strange no I think that I'm I've come quite a long way I think I I'm not I'm kind of it's still a sort of a journey and kind of accepting and being a, way, a lot more casual I'm, I'm fairly casual about periods now um I have a hot water bottle right here um but um no I was definitely that type of person in school that would be like has anyone got to be a, a pad or Thing. and they would like mm-hmm. slide it and you know you would pass it through other people's like clothes like, <laughs> through a hand it was like it was like a drug deal yeah it was literally just something to get you through the day to help you through well yeah but I think the more we chat about them with friends obviously other you know people have people have boundaries people don't like chatting about stuff like that but come on they're very real they happen I've began looking at my period in a lot more positive light um just period positivity I think is the only way kind of to go forward with it it's hard to get to because I dread it coming up because I know my first day with the symptoms are (laughs) horrendous you know cramps physically vomiting sore heads mood swings they are real they are real just don't poke fun at us for it but I found a really great way and this is like a real solid piece of advice you know to become a little bit more period positive is educate yourself be that whether you menstruate or not educate yourself find out about how other people live how other people manage Mm -hmm. what kind of our goals should be with the subject of periods um I recently um relatively recently got kind of more eco-conscious with my period so I have oh. period pants and um, that you wash and reusable pads and it makes you feel like you're doing a good bit which is the most self-centered way to look at you know climate change and helping the environment but at the end of the day we all want to feel like we're contributing something and we're doing really well so you know you save money you're saving the planet what more could you ask for so I think getting into that could be a really great way to kind of spur you on if you menstruate and then, yeah, just educating yourself, chatting about it with friends if they're comfortable. Mm. We just need to not be so embarrassed anymore. Obviously, if you're queasy or you're a little bit embarrassed about any any part of your body, anything like that, it's easier said than done. But 
as a in, in terms of like a generational thing or a societal thing we need to chat about it an awful lot more mm-hmm. and we have to it's again it starts just by being educated about it it's not that big a deal yeah. once you're taught once you know these things and um, if you're thrown out into the world if you get to university and you still don't know that women bleed for a, a week every month like that's that's you need to sort that out you know but also it's not your fault either because school has let you down I feel like that's what all these questions are going to kind of come back to at the end (laughs) well that that is you know the main point of discussion is that the the sex ed within Northern Ireland is non-existent and the sex ed that is given is done so by with an agenda yeah by you know probably somebody from a church or I heard somebody telling me that their sex ed was done with a priest standing in the back of the hall watching so, everything yeah. that was being discussed and I know for my own, we love it censorship <laughs> and for us um we had one day where a group would come in show you how a condom works and that was it and you're like is that is that it is that I I didn't know what a condom looked like until I got to university like we weren't we weren't even taught basic sex education how to put one on it just wasn't talked about and yeah because like I have a friend from my friend Anita from Liverpool who does the podcast with me she she would chat about she was like, like we were shown how to do it basically what you said shown how to do it and that's it we forgot about it I was like we weren't that's more than what we got we were taught reproduction and I'm reproduction while it is the act of sex is not sex education mm-hmm. because you you don't take it in there's no there's no social aspects to it there's no emotional it's, it's very clinical it's taught yeah in biology you're taught this is what this is and this is its purpose its purpose is to create children and that becomes so problematic when you've got people out there who don't have sex to procreate when you've got you know straight people who can't procreate but still enjoy sex when you've got you know gay couples um not non-penetrative sex it's it's such a broad topic that is brushed under the rug and kind of advertised as this natural kind of scientific necessity mm-hmm. that we all have to go through after we get married of course oh naturally so <laughs> naturally so um, um yeah it it is as you said it becomes very clinical and it becomes very hostile mm-hmm. and in that environment again births the shame we feel because if you're somebody like myself who can't have children Mm -hmm. and are taught from like 13 your only purpose in life is to eventually marry and have kids and that's what you're brought up and being told repeatedly until you leave and go to university and start to question your sexuality and your gender having just been told for five years your only purpose in life is to marry and have children you're like what do I do now and then you have so many feelings like shame and embarrassment depression because you're not meeting what society's standards are for you that you're just 
if I've failed at my only basic purpose in life, then what is my point? Mm-hmm. And that is that is why our sex education needs a real serious 360, 180 <laughs> slap in the right direction. Because yeah. if we improve our sex ed and if we improve and open up that discussion, we reduce shame that people feel. And once we do that, we start improving mental health and therefore people have the confidence to explore their gender, explore their sexuality, explore who they are. And unfortunately, the recording cuts off there. I know, I'm raging too. Um, But join us for a lovely juicy episode soon. Sex, 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 sex. Goodbye.